This podcast represents the opinions of our hosts and guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice and is for informational purposes only. This podcast also does not establish a standard of care, doctor-patient or client relationship. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. And because each person is so unique, all listeners are encouraged to connect with counseling and medical professionals for assistance with their personal journey. All people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect the privacy of those involved. Welcome to We're Not Fine. I'm Dr. Talia Jackson. And I'm Doug Jensen. We thank you for listening every week to our deep and thought-provoking conversations about relationships. Hello, everybody. Yo, yo. (laughs) Yo, yo. Like, I haven't done a yo, yo forever. Oh, my God. Those were the good old days, weren't they? Do you remember those beautiful kind of butterfly ones with, they were clear? I've always been into gem colors and glass. Maybe that's how I got hooked. They were so pretty. No, I do remember (laughs) slinkies. Okay, that's not a yo-yo, Talia. But wasn't it from the same era? Like prehistoric times when things were black Um, and white? Well, I wouldn't know now that you have to say prehistoric connected with my age. (laughs) No, I just thought you might know of that time. How how would I know of it? I'm just going to be drinking out of this as a preview. My best friend got this for me. That's ask very me about sweet. the Enneagram. Um, We're going to ask about the Enneagram today, but first, I got to tell minute. you something. Yeah. I got to tell you something. You know, every once in a while, someone will tell me, like, you need to watch this show and you need to watch this TV TV program. So, of course, everyone was watching Ted Lasso on Apple oh TV. Oh, my God. Obsessed. I'm obsessed. I was I was so hesitant, and I will tell you that I became so obsessed with the character of Roy Kent. I Oh my god! I can't even (laughs) And you totally you totally know why I love him so much. Like Well, he's your type too, for sure. I tell you something, he's my type in many, many ways, but he is my type. And it was so funny. One of my favorite things he does is like, no. He just says no. Um and I'm like and it, I I was remembering when he was like baiting this other player who was like willing to like be vulnerable to him. Like, I'm an ugly boy. Like he was having him repeat those statements. I love Roy Kent so much. He's so, lovable. And don't you feel like he's kind of softened over the seasons? Like so this new he's season, a much more likable guy than he was at the beginning. I love I he was more likable to me before. Like, I love Raw and I love Honest. He's a little softer in season three. But the point of this is twofold. Aside from Roy Kent being, like, this incredibly, like, enjoyable person for me to watch because he's so honest and so Mm. himself and very, very, very soft inside, by the way. Big, big heart. But the other thing is that this uh, show, unbeknownst to me, tackles mental health. Um, Ted, Ted himself struggles with anxiety and panic attacks. And it's beautifully done. You know, I've watched TV shows, as you probably have, Talia, throughout the course of life. And there are therapists on TV that I really love, like Lorraine Bracco on The Sopranos, big fan. Um, David Byrne, not David Byrne, um, Gabriel Byrne, I think his name is, uh, who did the In Treatment series. I've never seen it, but I've heard it's amazing. Riveting, Mm -hmm. like just riveting, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But, you know, it's interesting because Ted Lasso's anxiety and how they they portray panic and the work he does with a very, very human therapist uh, is just beautiful. So, um, but I recently, you know, season three, I think it is, it, it is it's out. Um, and so I've been We're watching. I just, yeah, We're you all should binge. Up. 
Yeah, I I watched the last episode last week and well maybe yesterday. Um and just an amazing show. So I recommend oh it to my anybody. Gosh. And such joy. Like just and such Ted, great energy. I'm like obsessed with like Ted Lasso as a character, as a human, as this like really vulnerable, honest guy who is just like no one knows what to make of him. I know. It's no so one knows what to make sweet. of him. Yeah, it's, it's it's a beautifully written show, very very wise and yeah. very human. But Roy Kent. Roy Kent. What about Jamie? Um, you know Jamie. I like, do. Narcissistic personality disorder. <laughs> I, I I do enjoy Jamie as well as you might guess. So. <laughs> what? Okay, so I think that my favorite character of all of the characters, and I'm forgetting her name right now, but she's like the boss boss lady. Oh yeah, yeah, blonde. yeah, for sure, for sure. I am obsessed with her i love her so much but the character depth is incredible for every single character you really get to feel so much compassion for them and what they're going through and experiencing oh my god such a great show if you haven't watched yeah and you know i think shows that really handle uh emotional and mental health and humanness of human Mm -hmm. beings and and difficulty that people have you know for him it's raising a child abroad divorce um it's really a tremendously well done show so anyway Uh, that was just something that i thought of recently because i'd like caught up and i'm like but i just waited i'm like i gotta see more roy kent he's less severe than he was in season one and two which i'm a little disappointed about i want well because the severity and the hilarity went hand in hand they did they did you know and so now he's just like a little bit softened but he still does grunt which is funny which is like a part of He's his, here, you know, he's jam. there, he's every fucking where Roy Kent. That is all he's, I'm going to say. He's the best. <laughs> okay, so speaking of characters, I've been yes. literally counting down the minutes for this episode because nobody ever lets me talk about the Enneagram. Now, that's ever. not, that. that is a little bit histrionic of you. And now I get to have full stage and I get to bore you to death with all yeah, of the this, types. This will be Talia's primary episode because you are Mrs. I'm going to call you Enya for this yeah. instead of Talia. And you have the mug and you have everything. And you have I been do. forever saying you're an eight. Your eights do this and eights do that. Yeah, and I kind right. of have been rolling my eyes since I've known well, you. Like, and I do. I In don't fact, like I labels. You're the eightest eight there were ever aided. <laughs> And let me okay. tell you, I'm now enjoying those numbers. So oh I've come gosh. around. Well, but so we're going to talk about what, that. This is how we were thinking about going about it today. Um, is there are basically, let me tell you what the Enneagram is. Um, it is a personality profiling system that um, I think is so much more in depth and spot on than any of the others because what it shows you is really like, who you are at your core, your core fears, your core motivations. And the best part of all of it, it tells you what you look like, healthy, average, and unhealthy. And I think that that's really crucial for everybody to see because people are like, oh, I don't want to be that personality type or this personality type. Well, all of the nine personality types are absolute gems if they're healthy and all of them are disastrous if they're not. And so it's incredibly useful and valuable for us to kind of understand our core personality so that we know what direction we're growing into health and some signs and symptoms of us being unhealthy and needing some help. 
That's a lovely intro and thorough because those are the important pieces. When we talk about mm-hmm. personality types, it's always important to understand how they manifest. Are you going to take a drink every few minutes to remind us of what it says on your cup? Anytime. Ask me about the Enneagram. Thank you, Leslie. <laughs> I ask you awesome so one. often. Yeah, thank you, okay. Leslie. And then after each little type, I'm going to pull together the essence of the type, core motivation, core fear, some characteristics, what you look like healthy and what you look like unhealthy. And pay attention. If you are this person, write it down. If you know this person, think about that as well, because you're going to when I talk about them, you're going to know all of these cast of characters. Click the affiliate link in the description to take the test for yourself. Talia, does this assessment as well identify like what type of person you would best be matched with in a relationship? There is a book um, called The Enneagram in Work and Love, and they absolutely will tell you what you look like with another type. But I would say... um, you can't even answer that because every type is wonderful if they're healthy and every type is difficult if they're unhealthy. But there are probably like if you're somebody who has a very high relationship needs, like for instance, the two, that's the helper, the giver, you might not be a great match for a five who's an observer, who's like a completely in their head and has a lower than average relationship need. And so there are probably all sorts of different ways that that can play out. But I'm going to dive in. Okay, so I'm going to start with the one. I love one. how excited you are. I, by the way, to our listeners, I know nothing outside of Talia's been telling me I'm an eight. That's all she, oh. uh, that's all I know. You're the eightest eight. I'm the okay. eightest eight. I'm starting with a one because it's a one and also because I'm married to one and oh. he's the best. So I have so many funny anecdotal, you know, things to say, quirks about the one. But essentially, these guys are like guys and I mean, it's equal percentage of every gender for every type. So um, the ones are very like black and white and morally spot on. And they are their deepest fear is being bad morally flawed or seen as imperfect. So they are in a constant, like they are struggling so hard to be the very best human that they can be. Their core motivation is they're striving to be good and honorable and live a life with purpose, the most correct way. And so I joke with my husband, who is the best, right? Like his moral code is like a 10 out of 10. He is always the one that will drop everything to like shovel a neighbor out, walk a grandma across the street. He has literally, he dove into our lake to like save a grandma He picks up trash on the side of the road. He also, this is the part that's more challenging to be married to, is that he also expects other people to be as wonderful as humans as he is. And he is often disappointed that that's not the case. 
And you know, he's all about best practices, like how to do things the best possible way. The thing I will note about Rob, who I absolutely adore and love, and I always want to spend time with and could sit down and talk to for hours. He is mm-hmm. always, he, he, uh, as an eight w- w- who is sometimes intense, Rob is always able to like translate into like, his, if you and I are like trying to figure something out, he translates incredibly well. I'm incredibly grateful for his even keeled self. The thing I will say that's interesting is you talk about ones having this like idea of what the best way of living is. That mm-hmm. is an entirely subjective thing, right? Right, so but much... ones don't believe that. Ones I know, believe that's what's interesting. I've noticed that. that. there's yeah. one obvious way that's the rightest way. And so one of the best things that's happened to our marriage is when I finally had to explain to him after a thousand <laughs> times of him asking, like, why don't you want to know how to do what you're doing better? And I'm like a sweetheart. I don't know how to break this to you, but I'm not that interested in best practices. I am like, my value is freedom and doing it however I want to do it. I don't need to do it the best way. And he like will never understand that. And I also think that there's an element of, and we can move on because I know we have a lot to cover in a very short period of time, but there's a, there's a difference between like those of us who fight for like justice and human equality in a really sometimes aggressive way if needed. And that too, that is correct. And it's not a one, a one believes in. Being kind Justice, and considerate. moral code. Yeah. But they are like, so I'm going to, I'm going to keep going with this and it'll all make sense. So like a couple of thoughts about the one, um, they, the, they're ultra responsible, organized, have so much integrity. They're so loyal. They're all about honesty, authenticity, justice, um, And I will say like best executive functioning ever because they are all about researching best practices. And I feel like, and maybe this is just my husband, but I don't think so. I think that if we had to create a love language for these sweet, wonderful people, (laughs) it would be doing tedious, painful, hard things together, like organizing a, a, like, storage unit or like planning some really painful thing. But like that helps Rob feel so partnered when we do these tedious, hard things together. And then I'm going to tell you healthy versus unhealthy. So So it's uh, interesting. I could just go on and on as we speak, but I know we have time limitation. Go ahead. Yeah. I know that would not be a good fit for me. That would not be a good fit for me. (laughs) But isn't your friend... Darren, a one, or is he a two one? Uh, He's a one. I don't know. Two. I don't know. I think that he and Rob are the same. I think they might be. Darren, that makes a lot us. of sense. Okay. Um, healthy ones. I'm going to start. Actually, I'm going to start with unhealthy because oftentimes the only way you will know what type you are is by some of the pathology. This is how we start to pay attention when other people are exhibiting some of the uglier parts of each type. That's how we're like, oh, you're a da-da-da. Like, that's what it is. So an unhealthy one is such a perfectionist. They are so critical. They are so disappointed and disgusted with other humans because they see everyone as like, stupid, lazy, half-assing <laughs> losers <laughs> that like nobody's doing it the right way. 
And <laughs> that they sounds hold really them- judgmental. It is. And that's how you know that they're unhealthy. And I will say that if I had to pick, if I had to pick some sort of, uh, you know, diagnosis for the unhealthy one, it might be either obsessive compulsive disorder or obsessive compulsive personality disorder in which doing things the exact right way is more important than the relationship. What do you think about avoidance in that category? Because I also um, think that there's a conflict avoidant dynamic that I've noticed in some ones. Um, like not wanting to engage in something that might offend somebody else or trigger something in somebody else. Like, Well, I think that like that's really interesting because I think that in theory, ones feel very certain about their stance in everything and about the right way to think and feel. But a healthy one has space for like Rob is incredible at like wanting to understand other perspectives because he's healthy. So like, let me tell you a little about healthy because also if you, if one resonates with you, then here is what you need to be aspiring towards to be the healthiest version of yourself, which is balance over perfection. So you The healthy one knows when enough is enough. They're not going to overwork themselves. They've got good self-care. They're not going to push someone too hard for the perfect result. And they're going to know when to stop um, trying to get somebody to do things the right way. And they accept that there's more than one right way to be in the world, which is what you're talking about. And There's occasional silliness, which is challenging sometimes for a one, but Rob's a really healthy one and he's super silly and fun. (laughs) So that is, the one is called the reformer and the perfectionist. So does that sound like you? Does that sound like someone you know? Think about it. Take the Enneagram, find out. Do you have any more to say about the one or should I move on to the two? I don't. I'm thinking a little bit about it. Um, And honestly, what I start thinking about is where the struggle comes for people who are different numbers, such as an eight. I know a lot of eights. I hang out with eights. I'm drawn to eights like myself, your son being one of them who I just adore in so many ways. Um, And I love his like risk taking and his authenticity, but it rubs I think that sort of dynamic can rub a one the wrong way because we're kind of out there and we're kind of. Here's what's interesting. There is a lot of similarity actually between the one and the eight. I agree. Because the eight is the boss and the challenger and the one is the perfectionist. And they're, they basically, eights also, very stubborn, very headstrong. They're certain that they're living life the best way. And they, right. eights are put on earth to like coach other people how to be We sure better. are. And if right? everyone knew that, that would be really helpful. <laughs> I'm so kidding. So, the funny thing is, Talia, I'm going to say, I love both of the eights that you reference. My buddy, Darren, who is like my absolute brother and best you friend. You mean the ones. The ones. The ones. I'm sorry. What did I say? Oh, I keep talking about myself. Okay. Um, And I love Rob. Like Rob is the person that if, you know, we're at, yeah, anyway, could go on and on. Yeah. No, all of the healthy type, like if you're healthy, you're amazing. Yeah, for sure. The next one we're going to tackle is the number two, which is the giver and the helper. And I always know if one of my clients is a two, because they're the only ones that bring me gifts. 
They will like bring me a latte. They will bring me things that they've baked, right? They are like the most giving, generous people. So their deepest fear is being alone and unloved. And their core motivation is that they just want to feel loved and appreciated. And so they make themselves central to everyone's life. Relationships are number one importance to them. Um, a few characteristics of the two. They're empathic. They're caring. They put other people's needs before their own. They are your ride or die. They are available for you at all times, even at their own expense. They will drop everything and be there at any time for a friend. What do you think, Doug? Do you, this, so my husband and your best friend, I think are a combination of the one and the two. I think they're ones with a two wing. I, I agree with that. So I'm actually processing, I have several best friends and I'm processing like what categories each fit. I swear you're all really different. The people who are really close to me. So I'm honestly taking this in, in some ways, like this person sounds like a lovely character and someone I would love to have around because it's easy to love people who are so giving and generous as you're describing. That's right. So if I'm really drawn healthy. to it. I know. If I, I, I always get that part, right? Well, but I'm loving... Go ahead. No, you go. You go. I was just going to say, I'm loving this description. Like, I'm like, who doesn't love this person, right? Who doesn't love the person that is doing things and generous and kind and thoughtful in any way? That's right? right. And let me tell you. So, like, if you think about the core motivation, which is, like, a desperate need to be loved. And it's it, so if anything is coming from a desperate need, that's where the pathology comes in. So a healthy version of every type yep. is lovely, but the unhealthy too, the unhealthy giver and helper is the martyr. Okay. They give everything away. And then when they, they don't get back? Yes. Or yep. they okay. don't get enough acknowledgement. They don't get enough gratitude. It's like, well. Look at After all I did. All I've done for yeah. you. That's how you treat me because they also give so much that if it's a little bit like unhealthy and sticky, it actually makes people feel bad. Like, well, absolutely. It, like you stop taking probably from that person because you, you know don't there's take. a string attached to it. The other thing that I'm thinking about though, Talia, is love languages. And I don't want to get too far off into that because we'll tackle yeah. that another another episode. But if someone being generous to you and acts of kindness and all those sorts of things are your love language, it's really easy to be loving and kind and, and uh, like acknowledging to that person. But you're right. Even if you give those acknowledgments, chances are the unhealthy too sounds right. like somebody that will not be satisfied and will end well, and up feeling bitter and resentful because it's not the right type of affirmation. Oh God, right? Doug. Exactly. And yeah. the people that I talk to that are in relationships with unhealthy twos feel like there is literally never enough that I could do for this person that they would be satisfied. Yeah. It is a bottomless pit of need for reciprocation and togetherness. Yeah. 
that they so the the people in relationship with unhealthy twos are constantly feeling guilty obligated like i don't know how to do enough for this person to satisfy them and my advice to you is you have to remember that they won't be satisfied if you give them 5 minutes or 5 years so you take care of you and give what you have to give with love in your heart because this one, all the unhealthies have some bottomless pit aspects, but this one feels really sticky and really sad when, when they're unhealthy. But a healthy two, literally abundance of love, gives it all away, great self-esteem, good boundaries. They, they take care of themselves. And so they give not to receive. They give not for acknowledgement. They give because it feels good to give. And that's, that's who you want to be in a relationship with. Can I be honest? I was just yeah. thinking that that last healthy dynamic of yeah. a two, I'm like, yeah, that's who I want to date. Yeah. Well, you know? I, I feel like that's who everyone wants to date. Maybe. <laughs> Like, they're just like the giver and the helper. They're like the support person, like focusing oh on the relationship. Could you imagine? I can, but I, yeah, <laughs> I'm very drawn to that. I'm like, yeah, that feels really nice. It is like yep. healthy twos. Oh my God, the best. Okay. Three is the achiever. These guys are so fascinating. Um, So essentially... They, their deepest fear is being a failure, not being enough, not being good enough, accomplished enough, significant enough. And so as you can imagine, they are the hardest working people. Eights, eights are also incredibly hardworking, but like the threes, it, it, the bottomless pit is for admiration and acknowledgement that like their efforts are worthwhile and significant and their yeah their core motivation to be significant and distinguish themselves through their achievements and so some of the qualities of these guys like the, the way that I would even describe them is that they're the ones that are like so incredibly charming like you know, flashing teeth and winky eyes and a little bit of like the the car salesman vibe where you like you would buy anything from them because they are so charming, so handsome, so beautiful, so intelligent, so hardworking. Their resume is amazing. They usually smell good and dress good <laughs> and they're very like aware of how to be the most... Uh... Okay. Pleasant, appealing, likable person. It's like in it is an intuitive gift to know what other people want them to be. So they're a bit of this like chameleon showing up exactly how you want them to be, but then they'll turn around over here and be exactly what that other person wants them to be, even if it's a completely different person. So that immediately doesn't feel great to me. I'll tell you, like anybody but who accommodates yeah. other people or becomes something different to accommodate other people, that feels not great. Like I'm honestly tell you, this is a very funny thing. I'm thinking about, I, you know, you start to think about this as I'm hoping our listeners are like, what type of person draws you? So this is not drawing me at all. The two, the healthy two draws me, the healthy one draws me, um, I am not liking someone who becomes something for me that they're not pervasively in their life. 
But so that's the unhealthy, right? So the unhealthy is All really right. like the, the chameleon yeah. or they're like a shell of themselves because they like what you like because they want you to feel connected to them. And so they will just be whatever others need them to be. And oftentimes this is a completely subconscious coping strategy to just be everything for everyone, to be liked by everyone. And a healthy three, this is what they say about the healthy Yeah, I want to hear this. That they're as amazing as they seem. That their charm comes from actual like self-esteem and joy that they have good boundaries. They know who they are. They don't agree with everybody at all times. They feel really confident about who they are in the world. And they're also, there's enough insight to know that... um they are themselves regardless of whom whom they're with, which is something that an unhealthy three has trouble with because their relationships are often compartmentalized with like, oh, I'm this way with my high school friends. I'm this way with my work friends. I'm this way with my family. But there isn't a lot of cohesion. Right. I love that part when you, you know, when you talked about the healthy part being that they really are who they are. Yeah, they're like, true I think to who they are. There's, I have another best friend who is ridiculously successful in her career and her education, and she is as genuine as they come. And I love her dearly. I love her like a sister. So it is interesting So she to might me. be a healthy three. She's incredibly healthy. She's, you know, I always joke that she's so ridiculously like just herself. And ridiculously successful in everything she does. So, wow. Yeah. If she is truly a three, that is like the pinnacle. I am curious That's if like, she is. Yep. Right, right. Um, because the next the next type is so very much themselves that I wonder, maybe there's a wing situation happening there, but the <laughs> three aspires, like if they're a healthy or a developing three, they're aspiring to be themselves and be brave enough to possibly not be loved by everybody or not have everyone think they're enough. So you're, you're going to love this next one right here. Okay. So the four is the idea individualist and the romantic, but they're also called like the tortured artist. Huh? Yes. These are a really interesting bunch. So their deepest fear is of, they feel like there's something, I don't know. I don't know how else to explain it other than they feel like they are uniquely special and uniquely fucked up in equal parts, that there is no one on the planet that understands them or their experience because everybody else seems to have been there on that day in kindergarten where they were given the key to a happy life. And the fours feel like they missed that day in kindergarten and everybody else has this secret to happiness and success that they don't have, which is a really hard way to be. It is. So, and I'll be curious when you talk about healthy versus unhealthy, does that person then feel victimized or does that person see their uniqueness as, as something to be celebrated? 
honestly, Doug, you nailed it. That's like so the unhealthy. You yep. that's the unhealthy versus the healthy. So the deepest fear is like I don't have access to the happiness that others do. And the core motivation is a deep desire to express their individuality and to be unique. Does that make sense? It kind of makes sense. Um, you know, I'm going back. I think I was very struck at the beginning of the four conversation with the word tortured. Um, yeah. Right. Because it's because of the like the grass is always greener. Everybody has it better. Everyone's life is easier. Everyone's spouse is better, kinder, whatever. It's like everyone has a job that they enjoy except for me. I have it the hardest of anyone because life is hard. You know what's interesting about this, Talia? And we could go on and on and on in each of these categories. Like I find myself thinking therapeutically, if somebody came into my office presenting that way, I would work with them on reframing their lives and reframing That's their right. torture as something as of a gift and to be more you know, authentic and genuine in this world in a way that really just accepts this is who I am. And it isn't That's necessarily right. that I was, I missed the, the, the lesson on how to be successful in this world, but rather to recognize your strengths are absolutely right. what they are. And our individualized experiences as human beings get to be, you know, more accentuated and approved of and grat grateful for. So it's kind of interesting. I find myself thinking if somebody gets to that place where they're like, I am going to run with this, I'm going to run with this incredible uniqueness that I have. That's right. Versus see it as, as torture. Does it change them from a four to another person or a category? No, it changes <laughs> them to a healthy four. But ah, like, okay. But listen, listen to this. I mean, you've, you have nailed it because like, these are some qualities of the four, regardless of, of health level. And then I'll talk about unhealthy versus healthy, which is exactly what you're saying. So these guys are incredibly creative. Yeah, they over-identify with their flaws. There's like a flavor of melancholy, um, a distinct sense of self and identity. They may feel a sense of emptiness, but there's also this very endearing quirkiness, right? Of like the fours. They are uniquely special. So an unhealthy four, when they come into our office, it is, it's pretty dark, right? Yeah. So the yep. unhealthy four, it is, it's depression, it's bipolar, it's um, addiction, it's borderline personality. It's like, I was going to really, say suicide ideation comes to yes. mind as probable. Yep. Yes, that's right. Manifestation. That's right. It is. It's a dark, it's a dark one. And I feel like a lot of creatives, probably like a lot of actors in Hollywood, a lot of brilliant artists, musicians, it's like a little bit of genius. And the price that you pay is feeling all alone in this experience, but you're also creating beauty and genius. And the, right. the healthy four, they're incredibly creative. They're compassionate. They're self-aware. They're fabulous friends because more than any other type, they can sit in the muck and the mire of the human experience without feeling twitchy endlessly. They will sit in a friend's agony and pain and feel yeah. no 
need to push them through, give them solutions. They will sit with you and hold your hand in the bottom of a hole forever. But they also, this is what's challenging, especially for me when you learn about my type, but it's really challenging when I have a four in my room that I'm helping, that I'm treating, I have to be so cognizant of the fact that they their goal is not necessarily to get better and find solutions and become the best version of themselves. I feel like what they're really needing and craving is acknowledgement of how dark it is, which of course, as you know, is hard yeah. for me to sit in for very long periods of time because I'll be like, okay, we've been talking about this for five sessions and I'm ready to move on. Are you, you know, when they're not, it's, and it's a interesting, part of their identity. Talia, that's, and that's an interesting difference probably between you and I and, and our approach to that. I can sit in that for a long time, right? you know, because I think change takes time and I think it's easy for me to sit in that. And I, I get very curious about this because I also think that our own personal experiences come into play as to whether or not we can understand hardship and pain and how long it takes to get out of that. Whereas some people That's are really, right. really, and maybe this is where you come in as well. Like some impatience with like, don't stay stuck. Don't sit in that dark place. Like, let's get That's you out of it. Right. right. That is exactly right. Which is yeah. why I need to be a healthy version of my type so that I can honor right. other people's pace and yep. also their desire to incorporate the darkness into who they are as a meaningful part of their character. I really appreciate that. And I'm, I, I mean, I've been spending 20 years trying to learn how to do that. Right. So we learn something from everybody. Right. Yeah. I'm also, I mean, it's really interesting too. And I realize we have a lot to cover here and I'm trying to keep this brief, but I don't want to, I want to keep this. We're actually it. doing pretty great on time. We okay, good. Um, bit. <laughs> the, the, the part that's striking to me is I start to think about moving from an unhealthy to a healthy in each of these categories. And because I don't necessarily do the Enneagram assessment as part of my practice, whereas I, I know that you can incorporate this with people into, into how you work. I can I see do. why there would be this focus. Like this is how we want to move you from unhealthy to healthy given the fact that yeah. you're you're saying that our numbers don't necessarily shift, right? Right. That's right. And that's why I am obsessed because the number one lesson of the Enneagram is that I am not an unhealthy version of you. And you are not an unhealthy version of me. We are our completely own people that we need to take responsibility <laughs> for right. understanding how we need to grow. Yep. Well, that's good. For sure. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Um, okay. We're moving on to you, aren't we? We're no, not quite yet. I'm a okay, seven. Our... We're moving on to the five. Oh, that's five. right. Okay. <laughs> so the five is the observer. So their deepest fear is being overwhelmed by their own needs and other people's needs. Their fear is of being like swallowed up by emotion, by um, relationships, and their core motivation is the desire to be independent, competent, and knowledgeable. They're a very heady type. They have the lowest of all of the types um, relationship needs. They're very independent. 
um, a couple of qualities that describe them. They're often lost in thought. They're incredibly thoughtful. They process slowly. They have a lot of insight. They're, they have a very difficult to crack inner world because they're only experiencing it by themselves and they're not usually able to narrate it very well to others. Um, they're more introverted, they're withdrawn, they're more investigators, and again, very independent. What do you think about this guy? I'm, so what I'm doing in my head too is thinking about the people that mm -hmm. I know to be that way. And I start to think of people who go into engineering. Yes, or, that's right. Right? Accounting. Engineering. They're scientists. Science. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Right? Where that independence, which then sometimes can be difficult to relate to people, even though they might want a relationship. You know, I'll never right. forget, you know, the, the guy who was an engineer who was dating a musician and he's like, I don't know how to do this. And yeah. he kept referring back to my website's four C's of relationships. Of and he kept saying, it's so helpful to remember yeah. how to do this, that I have to communicate about everything and what I'm feeling yes. and whatnot. Because, because he it's does, not it, intuitive. It's nothing natural or intuitive mm -hmm. or organic for that person. And they have to push themselves to do it, which is kind of painful to watch. It is. But I've recognized that if their motivation is there to do it. Yeah. So the question becomes like... As you describe a five, how much do these people that fall into that category of personality, according to this program or, or, or Enneagram concept? Profiling system. Profiling system. Um, I am curious to what degree some of these people prefer to be single. Probably right? more than any other type. Probably more than any other type in the Enneagram, they have a lower than average relationship need because they are desiring autonomy, independence, and they are in love with knowledge and they yeah. love their careers. Usually they are fascinated by like the world, but not as fascinated with human interaction because it's more overwhelming for them than your average bear. Right. And the unhealthy five is pretty reclusive and avoidant and doesn't have energy for relationships, just like you were saying. Um, they're focused on accumulating knowledge and their career and their own development and their own needs. Um, and so I could see how being in a relationship with an unhealthy five would be really challenging. Absolutely. Especially if you're looking for attention and connection and, oh. you know, repeated sort of like, uh, you know, finding at the end of the day, a way to really connect with that person emotionally or physically or both. And That's this person right. needs autonomy. That's What's right. interesting about it is Talia, I can see where it could be healthy too, to even do that sort of autonomy, because if it's who you are and you don't need that social interaction, forcing yourself to do it doesn't feel good either. I can imagine so many people building resentment over the need to like connect when they don't feel organically. That's you know, right. Having and a that's what happens. That. Like right. when I talk yep. to my couples and one of them is a five, they are just like, they don't understand like why some people are so needy for connection, yeah. attention, yep. relation, conversation. Like, why do you need to know every stupid thing that I've done in my day? <laughs> they're the ones that if you're like, how was your day? They're like, fine, please. Can I not ask you about yours? Like, but a healthy five yeah. 
learns how to let people in. They open themselves up. They're not as closed, not as private. They find the value in relationship and partnership. And they're just like, they're loving in relationships and they value relationships, but they don't value enmeshment. They will always want to be in individuals and autonomous and independent, but they, they're wonderful in partnership if you can speak with more logic than emotion, you will be able to connect with them and communicate with them better. They're not for everyone, but neither is any type. I was just going to say, I mean, this is kind of fascinating from the perspective of like how everybody will find, you know, somebody probably in each category. But listen, to, it's always what I say about like when you're in a relationship and dating, listen to yourself. Is this person giving you what you need? And can you navigate that? And can that person authentically and generous, generously and genuinely give you that? It's okay to ask for what you need. But some of these people, I mean, a five would be hard for me. So, right. Right. Yeah. A five would be hard for you. I think, um, well, I'll get into, I'll get into mine in a bit, but it also depends on how much relationship you need. I'm really picking a healthy two so far as my potential mate. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome to the club. Get in line. (laughs) Yeah. I get Get first dibs on that. I might actually know one of these, so I'm excited to uh, explore that. Thank you for bearing with us and diving in to the first five types of the Enneagram. You know it's my jam, and I hope that you loved it too. Next week, we're going to hit six, seven, eight, and nine, which I'm personally thrilled about because that's I'm a seven, Doug's an eight, and we are in a constant disagreement about who has the better type. So It's really not a disagreement. Uh, there's just a fact about it. There's just a knowing. eights will know. <laughs> I also just want to say that part of the reason we couldn't finish in one episode, Talia, is because we just get chatting. And this is a really fascinating discussion of like personality types and who you connect to and who you wouldn't connect to, not only like as a coworker or a friend or a date. Um, so I'm kind of enjoying it because I am not an Enneagram expert like yourself. And so for me, this is kind of like reviewing stuff and thinking about the people in my life. So I hope you all experienced that as well. We'll see you in the second of this series. Bye.